0: that took place over the last months we had gone through verse 26 and we had looked at what the apostle paul was trying to help us see and that is none of us are sufficient in and of ourselves for a right relationship with god indeed all of us apart from christ are totally separated from god no matter how good we think we are no matter how religious we think we are, no matter how moral we think we are, no matter how much we think God ought to accept us based on what we do and who we are and how nice we are and all those kind of things, we, we, we saw Paul saying, listen, if, if you are without Christ, you are without hope. If you're without Christ and you're dependent on yourself, then you are, you are struggling in this life for something that you will never be able to attain, never be able to have. It'll all be for naught if that's what you are trying to do yourself in and of yourself. That's what Paul wants us to see. As a matter of fact, in, in, the last, in these first three chapters, which we'll close out. No, we probably won't close out chapter 3 today. We'll probably be in again next week. But as we come to the end of chapter 3, we, we realize that some of the things before this, he said he started out with just... A preliminary personal word and sort of an introduction in verses 1 through 15 he said a lot of important stuff in that introduction he talked about how that this was the gospel in its origin it was the gospel of God it was the gospel about Christ it was according to the scriptures it was for the nations it was unto obedience of faith and it was for God's glory he so said that's what this gospel is it's not something that's to be held in by one little class or one little group or, or one little race. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gospel that is for the whole nations and it's for everyone to hear and for us to take to everyone. And, and so in those introductory words, when you just think Paul is saying, hello there, people in Rome, he's really telling us a great deal about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he gave his brief statement of the theme which I read as our call to worship today for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God uh, to save those who believe It is the power of God the gospel is the power of God to save a person from themselves and from their sin and from this world that's an amazing thought when you really think about it we live in a day when the gospel is not understood We live in a day when the gospel is distorted. We live in a day when people want to say, well, you know, the gospel really is just sort of a a set of rules and and moralistic things, and we'll, we'll follow those. And, you know, if we'll go to the Ten Commandments or go to the Sermon on the Mount and follow those, then everything will be all right. And the truth of the matter is, everything won't be all right. Paul says, you must understand that in your own strength, you cannot save yourself. And so, from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 4, which we'll get into in a few weeks, Paul is giving an in-depth analysis of the depravity of human beings. An in-depth analysis of just really how bad off we are. And, And there are those groups who say, yeah, but I'm not like them. And he said, no, you're not like them, but you're like this, and that's just as bad as them. He talks about those who are living in perversion. And and the religious people say, yeah, but we don't do that sort of thing. And he says, yeah, but what you do is no better, really, than what they do because you're still not trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And so he says "The, the pagan has a need for the gospel. The religious person has a need for the gospel. And the moralistic person, the person who's living on their own morals, have a need for the gospel because it's only the gospel that changes lives it's only the gospel that really makes a difference in a person's life so now we come to the end of chapter three and and really we come to the end of what many have described as the most significant most important single passage in all the word of god starting back in verse 25 or 26 when the apostle just simply says listen for this reason excuse me i'm in the wrong chapter here i get carried away going back Back in verse 21, rather, of chapter 3, we said, "...but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." whom God put forth as a propitiation, and we dealt with that as our last thing, uh, the the word propitiation, several months ago. God put him forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That last phrase is so significant, folks. Don't miss that. He did this so that he might be both just and the justifier. Many people say, why do you have to send Jesus? Why didn't he just say, hey, I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody, everywhere. There's no need for any kind of sacrifice. There's no need for any kind of atonement. I, I, just, I just forgive all your sins. And there are many people today who say that that's exactly what he did. They say, look, if by sin, by, by one man's sin came into the world through Adam, that, and, and Paul says later that by, by one man's sin was dealt with in Christ, then if it came to all in, uh, in Adam, it ought to come to all in, in Christ. There ought not be any any difference between receiving Christ not receiving Christ. It ought to be any religion, any person of no religion. doesn't matter. It ought to just cover everything. And, And there's some people out there teaching that today. Rob Bell has made it famous in his book, Love Wins, to say, listen, love wins. God loves everybody. It all wins. Don't worry about it. There's no big deal about having to trust in Christ. That is not what the Scripture says. And so we come to this passage where... Paul says, God must remain just. He cannot just say, eh, sin's no big deal. He cannot just say, I'll just forgive and won't worry about it. No, he must remain just. And because he must remain just, he must deal with sin. Sin has to be punished. Sin has to be eradicated. Sin has to be propitiated. God has to be propitiated because of sin. And, And so... Paul says don't you know that in Christ in showing his righteousness in giving his righteousness to all who believe he remains just and he also remains the justifier he declares us righteous he imputes to us righteousness of Jesus Christ because he's just and the justifier if you're sitting here this morning thinking well you know in the final analysis, God's going to say I'm okay and there's been no change of life, there's no, no real trust in Jesus Christ, you are living a delusional dream. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ. Understand this. It is only in Christ. Paul has laid out for us four great doctrines up to this point. He's shown us that God has provided a righteousness of His own for men and women. A righteousness that we do not possess ourselves. And this is the very heart of the theme of the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians, he tells the Corinthian Christians, he says, Listen, Jesus Christ became sin. He who knew no sin became sin on the cross. Took our sin on himself for all those who believe. He took our sin on himself. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God. His righteousness, clothing us. Paul says that's important to understand. You have no righteousness of your own. Christ had no sin, but He took yours. In order that you might have his righteousness, that great exchange, that great transaction. Secondly, he makes it clear in these previous verses that we've looked at that this righteousness is by grace. It's by grace. We don't deserve it. In fact, we are incapable of ever deserving it. It's grace. He gives us that which we do not deserve and does not give us that which we do deserve in our own selves. Thirdly, made clear that it's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in dying for His people, redeeming them from their sin that has made this grace on God's part possible. He paid the penalty. Redemption describes the work of Jesus in relation to ourselves. Propitiation describes the work of Jesus in relation to the Father. And justification describes the act by which the Father declares us to have met the demands of the law on the basis of Christ's work for us. I have a triangle I'll use in a class, and I'm teaching on that. I didn't put it in here to show you today. But it's Pretty, pretty good. It's important to see God the Father, Christ, and then and then the uh, and then us, and you can point how the propitiation from Christ is toward the Father, the uh, the understanding that redemption is the work of Christ toward us, and then the uh, the the uh, justification is the work of God declaring us just because of Christ's propitiation and Christ's redemption. We are declared by him just. That that is an important concept that we must understand. It's because of Jesus' death that there is a Christian gospel that we can believe. And finally, fourthly, this righteousness which God has graciously provided becomes ours through simple faith. Through, Through simple faith, about which there is really nothing simple, because it's radical. And changing our lives. Believing and trusting God in regard to the work of Jesus is the only way anyone, Paul says, whether Jew or Greek or Gentile, can be saved. Faith is essential. It is essential. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to know Him. And so Paul has dealt with all of that in these first three chapters, right up to this passage in verse 27. When he starts verse twenty seven out with this question, then what becomes of our boasting? What are you boasting about? What are you bragging about? What are you prideful about in your own life? Is it you know what is it, Paul says? I don't you to understand what it becomes of our boasting? Our boasting is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith—the law of faith. For we hold that it is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You hear that? For we hold it is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is it God? Or is God the God of the Jew only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. In other words, by this we show that the law is absolutely true because the law is given for one specific purpose, and that is to show you that you cannot be anything right with God apart from Christ, apart from the gospel. The law is given to show us that you cannot do it. See, some people say, oh, no, in the Old Testament you, you were saved by believing the law, and in the New Testament now you're saved by believing in Jesus, and you can keep the law and be saved if you're a Jew, even today, but if you're a Gentile, you've got to come to Christ, you can't do it through the law. I mean, that is a bunch of gobbledygook, theologically speaking. We'll see that next week. We'll see next week that, Trusting in Christ was the basis for the Old Testament salvation just as much as it is for New Testament salvation. Using Adam, uh, excuse me, using Abraham as an example. So, Paul says, where is your boasting? What are you boasting about? Salvation by grace is the one doctrine that undercuts all boasting. Paul will say to the the Galatian Christians in Galatians chapter 6, I don't want to boast in anything except the cross of Christ, because I don't have anything to boast about. I did have it one time, and he goes through all that litany in in Philippians chapter chapter 3, I believe it is. Yeah, Philippians chapter 3, where he says, you know, I was a a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. As As to touching the law, I was found blameless. Nobody could point a finger at me. I was a proud Pharisee. Until I came face to face with Christ, when I came face to face with Christ, I realized that all that was rubbish. All that was to no avail. It didn't get me anywhere. I just thought it did. And I bragged about it and I boasted about it and I told people what a good Jew I was and what a good Pharisee I was and and how I had all the right religious heritage and all the right moral heritage and it all just fell apart. His pride was demolished when he came face to face with Christ. So here he says, what becomes of our boasting? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity made this statement uh, when he speaks of the place of pride uh, where Christian morality differs most sharply from all other moral systems. He said, he said there, is, there is one vice of which no man in this world is free. One vice, we all have it. Which everyone in the world loathes, when he sees it in other people, thinks it's horrific in other people, but in somebody else, but which hardly any people, except for Christians who have come face to face with Christ, hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. See it clearly in other people. Loathe it in other people, hate it in other people, talk about it in other people, point it out in other people, gossip about it in other people but never see it in themselves, never guilty of it themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered and that they cannot keep their heads about themselves with girls or drink, and, and even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about, Lewis said, is pride. Just a sin of pride. It's it's the basic sin. It's a sin that before the creation of the world, Satan had lucifer had in heaven i want to be like god i want to take over i want to i want to be on an equal plane with god that was pride in him i think i can do it and he fell it's the same sin that adam and eve had in the garden of eden when satan came to them and said listen god did, did god save you to that fruit you know that you can't eat of any of the fruit of the garden and 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 i'm saying no 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 god didn't say that he said we just couldn't eat of that one tree and well, why did he say that? When well, he says, we well, eat of that tree, we'll die. And Satan said, oh, no, if you eat of that tree, surely you will not die. But if you eat of that tree, you'll become like him. You, and, and pride began to well up within, within Adam and within Eve. And they began to think, wow, we can be like God. And, and, and Satan said, that tree is good. That tree is beautiful. That tree is desirable. And he said, here, take and eat of this fruit and be like God. Take and eat of it. And they did. And sin fell, uh, sin became a part of our heritage. Adam and Eve fell into sin by disobeying God. Salvation by grace is the only doctrine that undercuts pride and undercuts boasting. What are some things we're tempted to boast about? Even, Even as Christians, or even as church members, I don't know if I'd say it for Christians, but as church members, as religious people. Well, there's always a temptation to brag about or, or boast about our morality. You know, the, the chief ground on which most people think they can save themselves is that they are moral people, the doing of good things. They believe they're saved by this, and others are not, others are not similarly saved because they're not as good as me. They're not as moral as me. It's the case of the Pharisees. It's the case of religious people today they they look upon religion as the ultimate achievement for a right relationship with God they expect God to praise them for it they expect God to say you're such a good person you know people like that they fast and they tithe and they pray and they do good works and 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 suppose that they're doing all these things and becoming good people by doing it good enough for God to save them so they brag about their, they boast about their morality. Now you say, well, I've never heard anybody really just boast about the morality. Oh, yes, you have. I'm glad I'm not like that person. It's a subtle boasting, but it's a boasting. Boy, I'm glad, my, I'm glad I don't do that. You know, they boast about the morality. Salvation through the work of Christ undercuts that. The grace of God undercuts that. We also can boast a bit in just our pious feelings, just our feelings of religious. You know, we just we just think we're so religious, so pious that we, you know, we think surely these feelings that we have are going to be good enough to save us. At times, we even have tears in our eyes and we're so sensitive to other things and other people, and we have these feelings of, of piousness. And surely, God will save us. Surely, God will have to. Surely, God must save us because of our piety. If He, if he must save you because of your piety and your pious feelings, then salvation is not of grace, it's a, it's a matter of debt or of works that he owes you. But since Romans tells us salvation is not of good works, it's certainly not that you can be saved by good feelings. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon on this verse, verse 27, a sermon entitled, Grace Exalted, Boasting Excluded, said this, he said, Souls, souls, that's how he would often refer to his congregation, souls, souls, this is workmongering. In its most damnable shape, for it has diluted far more than the bolder sort of work trusting, which says, I will rely upon what I do. If you rely upon what you feel, you must uh, or you shall as certainly perish as if you trust in what you do. Repentance is a blessed work of grace. And to be convinced of sin by God, the Holy Spirit, is a holy privilege. But to think that these in any way win salvation is to run counter uh, to all the teachings of the word. For salvation is of the free grace of God alone. And that changes us. So over pride and pious feelings, the, the scripture told us back in the earlier part of this chapter, no one seeks after God. No one is righteous. No, not one. Pious feelings won't do it. Knowledge won't do it. We tend to brag about our knowledge, you know, what we know about the Bible. I've told you about Dr. Johnson before, my my one of my English professors in college. And and Dr. Johnson knew more Bible than I do today, and this was forty years ago or more. But Dr. Johnson would quote the Bible. He didn't believe the Bible, but he studied it as literature, and he could quote it, and he had far greater knowledge than I did and far greater knowledge than most of you do. And there's just no way that knowledge brings us to a right relationship with God. Now, I think knowledge is a part of the Christian life. I think you need to know certain things. That's why we're doing the catechism. But the catechism can't save you. Learning all 52 questions and answers is good, for your spiritual growth if you're trusting Christ. But all 52 questions and answers is bad if you think that's all you have to do. If I can learn these things, I'll be, if I can have that kind of knowledge, I'll be saved. Scripture says that is not possible. We cannot be saved by our knowledge. The Bible is clear. No one understands in Romans 3.11. Even faith can be something. Even faith can be something we can boast about. And we have to be careful about that. That might be the most dangerous ground for all human boasting, as a matter of fact. And it's a particular danger for the evangelical. Because we have faith that goes beyond anything. We know we're not saved by works. We've been told that. And we've been taught since our youth that that's the case. But usually we, we talk about just having faith. I have faith. But many times that faith is not well placed. You see, faith does not save you. That shocks a lot of people. Thought we're saved by faith. You're saved through faith. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the instrument of our salvation. Faith is the instrument that Plants is planted in our life that issues forth, but faith does not save. Many people have faith in a lot of different things and think it's faith that will save. But only faith in Jesus Christ. Only faith that is marked by, by a changed life. It, it's, a, it, you know, it's a different type of faith that changes a person's life. It's a faith that is given of God. So Paul said, Where is the boasting? it's excluded where's the boasting there is no boasting except in Christ we sing a song sometimes around here if i had been about my right mind this week I'd ask Jeff to put this in but it's been a rather busy week and I didn't think about it until it was too late songs we're singing are really good and they all fit to this but this one particularly does we sing it often all I have is Christ all I have is Christ you know, it, it starts out by saying, "I want," and, and so I want to I want to kind of exegete this song just briefly because sometimes we sing great songs, and all they do is give us pious feelings. They don't. Re- we don't really think about the depth of the song that we're singing. It's one of the greatest songs, in my estimation, been written in the twenty-first century. That's saying a lot. And I know you will say, "Well, you say every song's your favorite song. This one may really well be." I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. There's pride. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life. It does promise that, doesn't it? And it is pleasing for a season. And it promises all sorts of things. I can be happier with this sin than without that sin. I can be happy in disobedience to God because that's what I want. That's pride. That's sin. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave, to spiritual death. I had no hope that you, O God, would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, that is my race into sin and its pleasures, indifferent to the cost, what it was costing me, you looked upon my helpless state and you led me by your Spirit to the cross. drew me to the cross. You brought me to the cross. And there, on that cross, recognizing the horrendous nature of it that we just talked about through Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and there I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You took my sin. You took my punishment. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. My wrath poured out on Christ. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Now when you've seen that, I want to know, do you really understand what that means? I love John piper last message of T4G on Friday evening. John Piper said, We need a new gospel and we need a new God. And some people, I think, gasp a little bit. What's he talking about, a new God? He said, No. You see, for most of us, God still remains me. I still rule my life. I'm still Lord of my life. I still make decisions for my life. It's not what does God want, what is God's will, what is God's purpose. It's I want to worship me. That's pride. So we need a new God. Not really a new God, but a new God to us. The same God, the only God, the true God, manifests in Jesus Christ. But we need Him as our God and quit trying to be gods ourselves. He's right. I won't even go into what he means by new gospel, but you can go listen to it online if you want to. All I have is Christ. I don't have my morality. I don't have my religion. I don't have all. I, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Paul said, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is." gain. But as I live on in this life, I will live to the glory of Christ, not the glory of self. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead with Christ. And yet no longer do I live in the flesh. I continue to live on the earth, but I live in Christ. Christ. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Prefaced by hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Because that's all I've got. Indeed, that's all I need. This last verse. And then we're going to come to the table. A lot more I can say, I'll say it next week. Mm. Think about this, this last verse. Hear these words. You sing them often. Hear them this morning. Now, Lord, after I've seen your love displayed, after I've seen that you bore the wrath that was mine, you suffered in my place, you've given me your grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all around me might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me it's a matter of grace it's not of works it's not i'm gonna obey the commands of god you know you got the ten commandments you got the sermon on the mount yeah, I, people make the Sermon on the Mount of command. It's really just the, the character of a believer, I think. But, but they say that. you got Jesus saying, well, what is the two greatest commandments? And, and and he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your might. And love your neighbor yourself. And I'm going to say, I'm just going to do that. No, I can't do that. I can't. I may try. I may want to. I I, I, I may grit my teeth. I may... I can't do it, and neither can you. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. It can only come by the Holy Spirit at work in your life. It can only come by grace. Oh Father, here's the prayer. This prayer I want you to think about when we take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. Oh Father use my ransomed life, the life you bought by grace, the life that you gave me that excludes boasting and bragging. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose. go as a missionary to take the gospel somewhere. That's what he chooses. Or more likely to go to a friend who needs the gospel or a neighbor. But the prayer is, Lord, I want want you to use my life, my ransomed life, my bought life, my life that belongs to you exclusively because all I have is Christ. Christ You are my life. Use it in any way you choose. If we don't mean that, we ought to cut that verse out, Jeff. We ought to cut it out. And then the last words, which are really the ones that relate to this verse. Verse. And let my song forever be. My only boast is you. Not going to boast in what I have, religiously or otherwise. Not going to boast in my possessions. Not going to boast in my wealth. Not going to boast in, 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 in how good looking I am. Not going to boast in, in, in how strong I am. Or not going to boast in how much Uh, how much I can attract people to myself. I'm not going to boast. My only boast, Christ, is going to be you because you ransomed my life. You gave me my life. You bought my life. I belong to you. Jesus is my life. All I have is Christ. That's what salvation is. And that's what he calls us to his grace and for his glory and there's no place we see grace any more beautifully portrayed acted out if you will than in the lord's table that we're coming to right now nowhere do you see it any, i mean we see the cross and and the cross is central That's why we have it in the baptistry, hanging there. So you see it every Sunday, lit up. The cross of Christ is there. It's empty. He's not on it. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. But before that cross, he gave his disciples that meal, that memorial meal, that that meal that pointed to the sacrifice. And he gathered around them and he said, This bread is my body. In just a few hours, it's going to be hanging on a cross. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't understand that, but that's what he was saying. This this fruit of the vine, call it wine, call it juice, call it whatever you want to call it, it's symbolic of his blood. This, this, This fruit of the vine is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you to cleanse your sins away. And to give you righteousness, to, to, to impute to you righteousness that you do not have. Ligan Duncan, who is a friend and a godly man, is one of the preachers. If you, if you, don't go, if you go online and go to t4g.org and you want to watch some of the sermons we heard this past week, if you can't listen but to one, listen to Ligan Duncan's. And, and But you're going to hear what I, one thing he said that blew me away. Never heard it said before, never thought about it before. But that's not uncommon. I hear a lot of things I never thought of before. But he talked about the fall. I talked about the fall a little bit ago. And he said said in his sermon, he said there, Satan said, Here, take and eat it. It's good. Take and eat it. You'll be like God. Take and eat it. It'll feed your pride. Take and eat. And Adam and Eve took and ate. And the human race fell. Fast forward to that upper room. As Jesus met with his disciples, and he broke the bread, and he poured the wine, and he looked around that table, and and Ligon said, and and, uh, this was cool, Ligon said, "I, I think Jesus might have been thinking, maybe even said it to himself, said, take this, Satan, take and eat it. This is my body. This is my blood. Take and eat it, because the last take and eat it that was called upon brought death and destruction and sin. This take and eat it brings life. This is my body. This is my blood. This is the picture of sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice, that brings life. it's by grace you're not saved by taking the meal you're saved by what this meal represents the life death burial and resurrection the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ it's not happening here it happened 2,000 years ago we're remembering it here And Paul said as you come to this table to take this food examine yourselves all the elements are being passed today. There's going to be a, two verses of Scripture on the screen. I want you, 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 the reference is there. You can take your own Bible and turn to it in your own Bible if you want to. You can just look at the screen if you want to. But I want you to, I want you to think on those two verses right out of Psalm 39. Search me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord, and try me. Try my anxious thoughts. If there be any impure way in me, any way that is sinful, that is not pleasing to you, if there's anything in me that is boasting, if there's anything that I'm depending on other than just Christ alone, if I'm demanding my own way over your way, then, Lord, show me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in your truth. Pray with me as our deacons come to prepare to serve. continue to pray as we prepare these elements to be passed among you.